This podcast is a member of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts and content creators, visit bio.link slash red5. Welcome to the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. If you're a regular listener, thank you for coming back. And if you're just tuning in, I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a special series I like to call Five Questions. Five Questions is a way to continue a conversation and get to know some friends on a deeper level. We formulate five questions and ask each other without early access, off the cuff and uncut. This is a great way to discuss nerd topics in an honest way. No prep, no frills, just five questions. Today we have patron Nicholas Schaefer. You may know him by his stage name, Backyard Tardis. We certainly know him in the podcast world as Nick has been gracious enough to support so many podcasts from all over. We all appreciate listeners and supporters like Nick. If you end up liking this concept, look for the rest of the shows under the five questions title and answer along. Always willing to hear your answers. Leave us a voicemail at 773-234-8659 and we'll play it on a future show. Without further ado, let's put our ears on and answer five questions. Remember, it's always sunny on Scarif, and that's the Scuttlebutt. All right, welcome, my friends, back to another five questions episode on the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. These are a lot of fun. I think we've been doing uh, quite a few of these, and um, only because, like I said, they're just a lot of fun. We had a couple of friends uh, do some five questions uh, earlier in the month, and we are back. But uh, this one is a very special one. We have um, with us Nicholas from the Backyard TARDIS. He is a wonderful supporter of ours, uh, not just us, but a lot of uh, Red 5 podcasts, but I think podcasts in general. Uh, Nicholas, how are you? I'm doing good, Roa. Glad to be here. And yeah, I've been, since you started this series, I've been kind of itching. I was like, oh, this seems like a lot of fun. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, glad to finally sit down and do one with you. Excellent. Excellent. I love, uh, I love when we get feedback and people enjoy what I do. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun and, um, it's a lot, it's, it's fun to kind of schedule some new people too, that, uh, that maybe I've never met, um, or some new, uh, content creators out there in the Twitterverse. It's always great to, uh, you know, connect with new, uh, new people and new faces. So that's, uh, that's always great to, to do. Yeah. I mean, I would say Scarif has been my gateway to a ton of podcasts. I mean, it started there with Coruscant Radio Underground. Then you yeah. created the Red 5 Network. And I mean, it just most recently, Netflix and yes. uh, the Popcast or the um, Pop Sci-Fi guys. So Absolutely. So um, you mentioned that because I, I, I know that you go you go way back uh, to when Brad and I started uh, started the, the Scarif podcast. And I wanted to ask you, um, we always say that uh, I, I'm pretty sure that I know, um, you know, a, a small handful of people that have followed us from the beginning, from day one. Um, and there's a, a couple of other people that I brought over from my previous podcast before Scarif. Um, but I wanted to ask you because I know you have been a supporter, as I mentioned earlier, you've been a supporter of ours and, and a lot of podcasts in general. Um, but what do you remember the first podcast uh, episode for Scarif that you listened to? And what was that? Do you remember? Was it actually the first one? 
Um, the first one I listened to was actually the one with Andrew and Marissa from Coruscant Radio oh, Underground. Yeah, yeah, our crossover was, episode. Yeah, it was funny. Um, I had been listening to uh, Alex Salty Nerd slash uh, as Scare fans might know him, Imperial Entanglements. Um, right. Deep cut, deep cut. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was uh, listening to him, and he kind of saw that. I was in that groove of people who didn't like The Last Jedi, but just was not jiving with a lot of that community. And he says, hey, go go check out Scarif. Uh, I think he's going to be your speed. Oh, <laughs> and wow, so cool. that just happened to be the first one that I listened to was uh, that one that you did the crossover. Yeah. And then I immediately I was going back. And doing that, but I also <laughs> was adding theirs. And then I think the first episode of theirs I listened to, they talked about starting the science fictionary. Wow. <laughs> so then I added that to the feed. Yeah. And it just kind of it went from went from there. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. And how many podcasts do you listen to? <sighs> I'm gonna say like actively, like at least one podcast a month, there's at least 40. Wow. Um, but uh, when I go to hit update on my podcast feed, it currently says like 127 that it's checking. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. So That's amazing. Some, you, uh, some of these ones aren't as active, but right. uh, yeah, I'm always looking for ones. And I, I go the full gambit, whether it be nerd stuff, comedy, retro video games, just all kinds of stuff. That's amazing. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, I, I was talking to, who was I talking to? Um, I think I did a Twitter spaces and a couple of people were in there, but, you know, I was just talking about how much I enjoy just interacting with different accounts and different people on, on the internet. Um, you know, I always joke around, you know, that's how Brad and I met on Twitter. I always joke around that, uh, you know, your mom always tells you not to meet uh, strangers on the internet, but that's exactly what we all did. Um, and it's, it's just a lot of fun. Um, well, you know, big thanks obviously to, to, to you, Nick, for, um, sticking with us and, uh, kind of enjoying all the, uh, all the, the tomfoolery that happens here on the Red 5 Network and all across the Twitterverse. I know a lot of people you mean have camfoolery, right? Camfoolery. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, too funny, but yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a liberating thing. I mean, you know. We all have our, our, our cameras and our microphones in front of us, and uh, we just kind of want to – we just want to unwind sometimes. We just want to, uh, you know, hang out with friends and talk about all the stuff that uh, that we enjoy. And it's funny that you mentioned Alex and, and the Salty Nerd because I think um, before I – before I met Brad, you know, I was I was in the market for um, listening to nerd podcasts, and I I, I kind of tried a lot of them, um, but they weren't. I don't know, something was not hitting. And then I I, I did find the Salty Nerd podcast, and um, you know, I started listening to them, and I liked their format. One of the things that turns me off about podcasts uh, in general is, and you know that I'm not a big sports guy, but if they start you know, they'll, they'll pick a topic and I'm like, Oh, I'm interested in this topic. And then all of a sudden it's like 18 minutes of sports talk at the top of it. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, skip. <laughs> so that's, uh, you know, Alex, uh, and his, uh, crew. I mean, they, um, this was actually, I think before he had everybody on there, 
Um, I think he was just solo with some guests, but I really enjoyed his format. They got to the nitty gritty right away and uh, they didn't make me sift through, you know, 18 minutes of, of pointless sports talk. So um, I, I stuck with him um, and then, yeah, the rest is history. But yeah, that's cool. Speaking of podcast, um, I want to let people know about your content um, and your YouTube channel because it is such a unique um, idea, and obviously it it, it stems from uh, from your profession. You are a locksmith by trade, um, and um, you know you you've got a channel, and I want people to to, to really um, you know find out about uh, your channel. Um, Tell everybody what it is that what's your channel called, and because um, I want to ask you like a specific question um, after you give us kind of like the four one one. What is it that you do on your on your uh, YouTube channel? Okay, yeah, I'm a locksmith by trade. Um, have been doing that for last sixteen years, and. Uh, I, I have so many stories and everybody tells me, you should write a book. You should write a book. I'm like, I don't have time to write a book. <laughs> but I thought, well, I'm going to take some of these stories that I tell over and over to people and start making little short YouTube videos. And I was mixing that in with my nerdy stuff. And then I kind of thought, well, I'm going to make that a dedicated. So I started the Adventures in Locksmithing YouTube channel. And just kind of doing that. And that's just typically it's it's something that's like a quick five to ten minute video just talking about one of the crazy things. Any service provider that goes into somebody's house, we see stuff. Right. We see some crazy stuff. And uh, occasionally I even with when I get permission from a landlord um, after a tenant change, I'll, I'll even show some of these scary houses that uh, the way that people leave it. Yeah, and they are scary. Oh yeah. Um. So, what was the name of the channel? Adventures in Locksmithing. Okay, so I wanted to ask you, because of the uh, title of your channel, Adventures in Locksmithing, and you did say that you see some stuff. What? Um. Just off the top of your head, what are some of the craziest things that you've seen? Um. Seen because I know I know you get crazy stuff like people want to pay you with drugs uh, <laughs> instead of yeah. uh, U.S. currency. Uh, but there there's all sorts. I mean that, that that's an adventure in itself. But what are some of the craziest things that you see from a from a regular basis? So on a on a regular basis, um, sometimes with these evictions and stuff, it's just the level of trash that the people live in. And I had, I had one house that the people said, Oh, uh, you know, they, they called us up and apologized. They hadn't been cleaning, but they, they had moved out. And, and so they wanted me to go and pick it open and, and get them in so that they could get the house cleaned up. I picked that door open and I kid you not, it was trash bags up to my waist through the whole house. Wow. And the back door had a latch bolt on it. So they said, can you go through the house? And I had, we were in the middle of flood season. So I had knee high boots on. I said, sure. And I'm walking and all of a sudden I felt the ground was firm. And I, and I realized I was standing on the kitchen counter. 
That's that's the level that the trash was. Wow. That's... And at the back door, there was a dead cat oh. trying to claw its way. So it's, I I have seen stuff like that. The the hardest part is when you see that they have kids. Yeah. When you see something like that where it's all that trash, and then you see baby strollers, and and that's that that tugs on your heart. Sure. But, sure. Um, but then you know, just uh, other end of the crazy. Like I've gone, I've gone places, and uh, get invited out, and there'll be a small militia there, on a, on like a pot grow or something like that. And they oh, and they like call, a like an like an actual militia. <laughs> yes, like an actual militia. Oh my god, you know, guys with uh, semi-automatic weapons, and they're oh yeah, you're here to do the Honda key. Great. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is freaky. All right. Five questions with Nicholas Schaefer, Backyard Tardis. Um, this, uh, like I said, these are always a lot of fun. We uh, we don't tell each other what the questions are. We, um, you know, come on here and, uh, you know, off the cuff. Not really off the cuff. We formulate these questions, but uh, the answers are off the cuff. And um, this is a great way to get to know each other, but it's a great way to have fun as well because we have thoughts on all things nerdy. Um, Since you are my guest, Sir Nicholas, I will allow you to ask the first question. Well, I'm going to go ahead and move one to the front because we already kind of touched on it. But I wanted to know, because you are a fellow podcast listener, not just a podcast creator. What is your podcasting pet peeves? Uh, Well, besides having to sit through 18 minutes of sports, um, let's see. The other podcast peeve of mine. You said that so many times that I think ATSW stopped. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That's hilarious. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's a pet peeve, but I I understand that sometimes it cannot be helped, but when the audio um, quality is, is, uh, is bad, um, you know, sometimes I'll go through, you know, not even my list, but I'll, sometimes I like to explore, um, you know, other podcasts and I listen to, uh, like some crime shows or some other nerdy podcasts that are not part of the red five network. I'll kind of pop something in and, and try to, you know, get a, a, a new voice in, in my head. Um, but then the audio quality is, is, uh, either it's echoey or they're using their phone and you can hear, you can hear the phone like jangling around in their hands. Um, they're, they're talking. It's, it's, uh, it's not the, you know, it's not up to par when it, when it comes to, to podcast audio. And I think that's one of my biggest pet peeves. Um, but I, like I said, again, you know, I, I know sometimes, uh, it can't be helped. Not everybody, um, you know, can uh, get the the latest and greatest uh, technical gadgets. So I understand. Um, but uh, yeah, I I would say audio quality for for me. Um, not that you have to be you know perfect all the time, but um, if I can't listen, if I can't hear every third word you're saying, then um, I'll probably turn you off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, I would say. Um, what would, what would you recommend then uh, for for new people starting out? Like, is there something specifically that takes people to that next level? 
You know, it, and it's funny because it's it really is an easy fix. Um, I mentioned the um, the additional audio of uh, you know handling the phone in your hand, and I don't know, you know, um, I'll give you an example. When we uh, in the news business, if we are kind of uh, running and gunning and we don't have time to either go into a studio to record a voiceover or have me bring out the camera and record it with a professional mic, some of the reporters use their iPhone and just, you know, hold the the, the phone and, and record um, right on their phone with the voice notes. And then they send it to me and then I, I piece it together. Um, you know, the. The uh, the secret, I guess, is really uh, to make sure that you're that you don't have any external noise. Um, and um, like you you mentioned earlier on that you had the fan going. I don't hear the fan, um, so your whatever microphone that you're using is um, is not picking up that far away um, audio, which is good. Uh, the iPhone works the same way. I mean. Um, and I notice a lot of people use earbuds, uh, which that technology has really ramped up the the uh, not only listening to things from from a mobile phone, but also recording stuff on the mobile phone. So, um, you know, technology really has um, has given everyone a decent opportunity to kind of step their game up as far as, uh, you know, recording audio for podcasts. It's uh, really great. And obviously, you know. Uh, sites like Zencaster or some of the other, you know, recording um, websites or applications really have, uh, you know, invested so much time and money into making sure that, uh, you know, the audio gets recorded uh, with good quality. So there's I think um, in short, there's no excuse for bad audio nowadays. No. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I would say I think when I uh, I started getting to podcasting, listening to it around 2008, 2010, and um, everybody was trying to do it over Skype. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the audio was awful for Skype. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Skype is, uh, you know, it's it's meant just for like meetings. Um, yeah. It's not that great. The The video is not HD. Uh, you know, places like StreamYard uh, are, are nice, and StreamYard lately has um, added some great functionality that I was kind of, you know, having on my wish list. And when when they announced stuff like uh, individual track recording, like right now, um, back when when StreamYard first started, if we were doing a StreamYard show, um, both of our channels would be kind of sandwiched together. So if your mm -hmm. audio was bad, I couldn't tweak your audio without tweaking mine. Um, and now each of our audios are individually recorded, and then I can download each channel and, and mess with the levels if I need to. So um, like I said, technology really you know, has allowed a lot of uh, us content creators to, to be as creative and, and flexible as, as we can. Yeah, it's, it's grown quite a bit. All right, question number one for you. And uh, this is a time travel question since uh, since you have a back uh, since you have a TARDIS in your backyard. Do you have a TARDIS in your backyard? I think you do, right? Yeah. It would be a shame if you didn't with that name. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, that, that that picture on the channel is of a <laughs> is of a TARDIS in the backyard. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right, time travel. Where would you go? What would you take? 
with you and why? Would you go way to the future, way to the past? Um, where would you go? And then what, uh, what item in the real world would you take back with you and why? Um, so, so when you say take real world item back with you to the past or bring back to the future? No, like if you if you stepped into your TARDIS right now and mm -hmm. either went backwards or forwards, what are you taking with you? Oh, okay. Yeah, I would uh, I would definitely want to go back and um, I, I'm a, a spiritual guy. I don't talk about it as, as often, but I would want to go hear the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> Okay. And I definitely think if, if I was back then, I would want to get some some scrolls from back then to bring forward. Okay, yeah. <laughs> a lot yeah. of that, so, some of that, uh, they don't have a lot of that stuff from that period. Yeah. Historic, so. Historical stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Would you, uh, I would, um, I would go back there, but make sure that my iPhone had enough, uh, room to record a couple of YouTube shorts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, too funny. Start a TikTok hanging with Jesus. <laughs> there you go. Hashtag. A lot of other things, but that is usually when I really think about it, where I'd go. Nice. Nice. Very nice. Excellent. All right. Question number two. What do you got for me? Okay. Question number two. Uh, this is uh, going to be based on your short-lived podcast, My Wife Hates Sci-Fi. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so <laughs> I get this a question every now and then because my wife hates sci-fi, comic books, video games. She's not into any of that. And every now and then I get a young person. Well, why in the world did you marry her? So what was it that attracted you to your wife who hates sci-fi since you're such a big sci-fi guy? And it's funny because obviously when you first meet your your significant other, you don't know anything about them. So I didn't know that she didn't like sci-fi. Um, but I think, you know, if she wore a T-shirt or something that said, I don't like sci-fi, I probably would have walked away. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously, uh, you know, all joking aside, she's a, a wonderful soul. And I think, um, you know, everything that encompasses her um, is uh, is greater than the lack of love for sci-fi. So... That's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well put, well put. I, just, <laughs> I always find it funny when young ones say it's usually somebody on Twitter with a with an animal uh, for their icon. But uh, <laughs> oh, those but, guys, uh, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of like like oh, there's 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 a lot more than life than your hobbies. Your hobbies are cool, but uh, um, not necessarily a reason to get married over. <laughs> That's too funny. Hey, friends, just a quick reminder. If you enjoy our content and don't want to commit to a Patreon tier, you can show your love in other ways. Oh, 
Yeah. Of course, you can take advantage of our merchandise store at TeePublic, where we've got cool designs from all across the Red 5 network. Look for sale announcements and save up to 30 to 35% on all our merchandise. Oh, nice. And there's also a very convenient way to help support the channel. As you know, coffee is our friend. It keeps us going. You can show your appreciation by heading over to buymeacoffee.com slash Scarif. Buymeacoffee.com slash Scarif. Any amount starting at five bucks, a one-time treat for us to help with all the stuff it takes to maintain the quality you deserve. And remember, it's always sunny on Scarif. And that's the scuttlebutt. And pass the cream, please. All right, question number two. This is so fun. Um, yeah, this one, this one um, is right up your alley, and I think uh, I think you'll like this question. Um, what are your thoughts on religious parallels in our geek entertainment? I'll give you an example. Obviously, Superman with the Savior Complex. You've got Star Wars and Redemption. Uh, Indiana Jones, uh, which uh, deals a lot with faith in general. Um, but what are your thoughts on um, bringing in those type of religious parallels into science fiction and fantasy? Oh, good question. Um, I I do appreciate it. I, I think that uh, it is important that our media reflect our morals. And it's important that we teach good morals with our media in a way that it's something that when, when our kids and when we were kids, we're looking up to something – we're looking up to something that we strive to that is a good thing. That said, I also think that it, it should not be treated as something that is a replacement uh, for for scriptures or for, for faith. Um, as much as we, we love this stuff, uh, it wouldn't be a basis to instruct our, our morals around as they are uh, – Stories, so to speak, not not scripture. Like creating like a real Church of the Force. Yeah, yeah, like that <laughs> stuff. Because I've, I've I've seen ones who who do that. But uh, uh, give you an example. I I remember years ago, uh, someone was given this sermon, and I and I really loved this. And it was it was on uh, power, and he's he's like, Popeye has it, <laughs> the Hulk has it. Superman has it and God has it. And it's like, it's like <laughs> I'm talking about power. <laughs> and so I, I just remember getting getting quite a chuckle out of that out of yeah. that sermon. But at the same point, um, I would never look to someone like the Hulk as a as a role model to base my morals off of. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. But, I, you know, I, I think science fiction and fantasy, I think it's used as a tool, obviously, to, uh, you know, to bring people, um, I guess, a better understanding of certain, you know, ideologies, certain concepts. Um, you know, I mean. Well, yeah, it, it can make it, it can make it relatable. Yes. And it can. And once again, it's. Like I said, it's it's the the constantly giving that instilling of this is what is good, this is bad, and kind of having that that moral focus. And and um, unfortunately, it seems lately everything they want everything to be kind of be more morally gray today. 
And I kind of miss these are the bad guys and these are the good guys. Um, and then there's room for that morally gray, but uh, I, I do miss that sometimes the, the, like you said, Superman, the more altruistic good characters to look up to as a role model. Yeah. We're just talking about that with, um, with Andrew and Marisha uh, towards the tail end of uh, this uh, today's episode that uh, we recorded last week, uh, just talking about, um, you know, the morally gray characters or the, the, the bad guys versus the good guys. Um, there does seem to be a loss in translation regarding, you know, the, the, the battle between good and evil. Um, as simply as it is, I think it does serve a purpose, uh, especially in, um, I guess, in the in in the narrative of of uh, young people today. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing to kind of demonstrate, uh, you know, what it is to be good or strive to at least, and um, and and what it is to be, you know, evil or, or bad, um, especially in. You know, I guess especially in a genre that is so um, widespread and and easily accessible as science fiction and fantasy is, I think uh, you know the great masters of that of those genres really um, did a good job. I think uh, in kind of uh, you know illustrating those points. Yeah, very good point. All right. Question number three. What do you got for me, Nick? Okay. Um, what is your f- real nerdy question here? What is your favorite uh, race in sci-fi? And I'm, I'm going to qualify that with intelligent race. Hmm. So you can't say porks. No, I can't say porks. Good. Because um, <clears throat> I know that was going to be your go-to. <laughs> And did you say only Star Wars or just in science fi- science fiction all, all, all in general? All sci-fi. So, you know, oh, Daleks, yeah. Klingons, Cylons, yeah. whatever. Vulcans, do it all. You know, um, I think this was uh, – this is a good question because there's so much. There's so many out there. Um, I want to say Klingons – um Klingons are to me they're an interesting race. They have a lot of history and obviously through the uh you know through the storytelling of Star Trek both old and new we get a lot of backstory on Klingons in general and uh I think they are they're the type of character race that is um you know they're pretty f- well fleshed out. Um I know a lot of times through the the years and all the Star Trek shows, some of the Klingons have been um, uh, they've tried to kind of reinvent the the Klingons. Um, some of it is tongue in cheek because uh, we had uh, Klingons that were just painted brown uh, from the '60s, and then you've got some uh, brand new Klingons uh, with the head ridges that were introduced in Star Trek: A Motion Picture. But, um, you know, the history of the Klingons is, a, is an interesting one. I think uh, it is uh, Klingons are a staple uh, species in, in Star Trek for sure. Um, you know, obviously, I, I love Star Wars, but I think Klingons are Klingons are pretty cool. 
Well, you know, it's funny. Of all the interesting and fascinating races, it's it's Klingons that, uh, you know, people learn the Klingon language. They have Klingon weddings. People surgically get the forehead ridges. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, a bit more extreme than my my taste there but yeah, yeah. uh it, you know it really shows that it they, they have that lasting cultural impact yeah they absolutely um yeah and yeah yeah you, you're right you mentioned it i mean there's a klingon language people learn it there are classes of klingon and and it's not just gibberish it's actually uh you know uh the well thought out uh language um there's a there's a bible in klingon yep and um yeah so it's 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 interesting it's uh but yeah klingons are cool yep klingons are cool all right question number three i got for you um indiana jones has had a rough go at it this uh this summer the dial of destiny if you were in charge of a new Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones movie, in place of Dial of Destiny, what would you focus it on? What would be your MacGuffin for a new Indiana Jones movie? Um, well, first off, uh, a big part of my focus would be short round. Okay. And yeah, I, I think I think that would first and foremost. I think even before he, you know, he get all these acclaims for his recent performances, but even not knowing that I still would have reached out because I knew he'd done in an interview before, uh, when that movie was just announced that he was reaching out, trying to be part of it. <laughs> and mm. so that he, he is my favorite character in the Indiana Jones franchise. And he's right at that age where he's kind of like how Harrison Ford was and that he's, He's young enough that he can do the action and he can, and he can be believable doing the action. Um, and so he's kind of right at the age to take the hand. And as much as I am not a, um, a fan of Indy's son from that, that, that supposed fourth Indiana Jones movie, <laughs> um, and, and you know I'm I am I am not a Shia LaBeouf fan at all, right? Right. But whether it was using him or they recast it, I think it would be an interesting movie tr thing to do. So yeah, I you know as much as I don't care for the mutt or Shia LaBeouf, you know I think it would be an interesting dynamic to have him in short round. You know, one that was raised by Indy as a son. And the other one, you know, having to grow up without the father, but he is the real son and just kind of jabs back and forth, them having to have a bond. I think that would make for a compelling movie. As far as what I'd have them go find, probably El Dorado or The Lost City of Atlantis. There you go. Um, th those are probably the biggest um, ones, you know, when you think of archaeology. Um, now, he's never gone and done something in the East. We've got pyramids and temples and stuff in uh in japan and china and stuff like that that could be uh interesting to loot as well but um yeah, in I, india yeah. well 
Well, I guess he did kind of do India, uh, Temple of Doom. Yeah, they did India. Yeah. But it's it's from there, it's a, a very different culture going as far as legends and stuff going going further east. But like we've not done South. South America was just, yeah. you know, kind of a little intro. So I think all of that would be something. But as far as like the Dial of Destiny, I haven't done some research to figure out because um, I heard that it is based on some sort of legend. I don't have a problem with science fiction tropes in Indiana Jones, as long as it's based on a legend. I, for all the problems I had with Crystal Skull, I didn't have a problem with the aliens because that was part of the religion. Those people believe that aliens visited them and they worshiped them as gods. So they believe the gods from the stars came down and visited them, and that's what the crystal skulls represent. It's part of the legend. So having it do that and be a little sci-fi doesn't really bother me because that is what that worship was about. Yeah, and um, I, I forgot who I was talking to about this. It seems like all the artifacts in the Indiana Jones movies are based in reality. The uh, Dial of Destiny is the, um, and I, I can never pronounce it correctly, the Ithaca, Ithacaris or the, the Dioth uh, something something. And it's, 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 basically, it's basically known as the you know, ancient history's first um, computer because it's got dials. And you can, you can look it up. Um, and it is based in in something real, something ancient, so it's it's always cool. But it, the I was saying, the Indiana Jones movies always have that realism attached to it, and then the tail end or the interpretation of that artifacts, uh, you know, results or or whatever it is that that is supposed to do. That's where the authors of the films kind of embellish reality. Um, obviously the, the aliens in crystal skull, you've got, uh, the, you know, even the, um, the eternal life, uh, with the, uh, with the Holy grail, but it's eternal life. Only if you stay in that little cave, um, you know, a, a kind of a different interpretation of, of eternal life per se. Um, so yeah, dial of destiny. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I think I posted earlier in the month when the movie came out, um, or after watching the movie, it's not, it's not more far-fetched than any other Indiana Jones, um, artifact or trope. Um, I guess it's just, you know, um, how far you push the envelope. Like sci-fi, a lot of times sci-fi takes the stuff from fantasy, from legends, from religion, and just kind of puts a sense of scientific logic to it. Uh, sometimes that logic is n almost non-existent. You know, Star Wars, how lightsabers work, that's not really scientifically accurate. But, <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, but they, but they look cool. Right. Or, or how warp drive and stuff like like These are all theories, but, uh, you know, not, not necessarily fact, but they're taking when stuff in Legends where you have somebody's teleported to another realm by the gods or something, you know, it's still the same thing. It's just a transporter now. Right. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. it's so I don't mind stuff like, uh, you know, like there's in legends, there's like crevices or caves that take you through time and different stuff like that. 
time travel, you know, stuff like that doesn't bother me. Um, as long as it's got some type of legend art, I don't want them to make up a legend because there's so many good ones. There's oh, so yeah. many good ones. Right. Don't don't go making them up. Um, but find something that has some real historical fact. And, you know, it's funny for all the time that he spends there, they haven't really touched Egyptian mythology. And that's one of my favorites. You know, they dance around that area in the other movies. But they never actually, uh, you know, get like the staff of King Tut or some, you know. Right. Yeah. And the Eye Ra. I think the um, I think ancient Egyptian um, mythology and history is is um, it's something that I got into when I was nine years old. I really loved uh, reading about it. King Tut, uh, Howard Carter. Um, all you know the the valley of the kings i think uh and you're right there's there really is no need to make something up because uh our re- regular old earth has uh tons of uh fun little nuggets that um that we can you know sink our teeth into as far as fans um the uh the real device for the dial of destiny is a device created during the age of the roman empire by greek mathematician archimedes and it's called the the antikythera device hmm. it's just it's interesting like i said you know they didn't make it up uh but um you know obviously they embellished uh the the purpose of it because we we still don't know wh- why he made it yeah okay patrons time to give a shout out to those wonderful people that help keep the living waters of mandalore running around here at the scare scuttlebutt podcast i extend to you a very heartfelt thank you to all my patrons all right how about some shout outs big thank you to backyard tardis nick schaefer a huge supporter of the red five network go support his channel and catch up on his adventures in locksmithing. And big thanks to Scott and Kim from the Used and Abused Podcast, another Red 5 pod. Look for them on all the socials. Some appreciation goes to the guys over at Rebel Rock Radio, DJ and Steve, rocking with another Red 5 pod. And go check out Comics and Cosmetics. Danny's got some lovely takes on uh, comics and cosmetics. Cool talk for nerdlings of all denominations. Go give her a sub. Who else we got? Hey, it's Frank from Miami. What's up, Frank? Longtime supporter of the Scuttlebutt. Thank you for that kind sir oh and a wonderful thank you to belinda oh my friend i'm so glad you're on this list and our resident classic hollywood expert a fan favorite collaborator melanie marquita big hugs to you my friend a huge respect to all our patreon supporters you remind me each week why it's fun to do this and to infuse the quality discussions you deserve and if you want to help us keep the lights on over here and enjoy the show head on over to patreon.com slash scuttlebutt remember we can't have the scuttle Without the butt, it's always sunny on Scarif with patrons like you. So, uh, question four, we'll do a little lighter. So I'm a Doctor Who fan. I know you're a little bit more Doctor Who light compared to me, but uh, the question you always got to ask another fan is, uh, "Who's your Doctor?" Oh, you know it's funny. Um, my friends in high school were big Doctor Who fans, and I wasn't um, as much because it um, 
it all looked cheesy and stage, you know, it looked really cheap. So I really wasn't into Doctor Who um, in high school, but they were really into Doctor Who. And the first actor I saw was uh, uh, John Pertwee. Yep. And um, he was the doctor. And I know, obviously, you know, the who was uh, Tom Baker was before Pertwee, wasn't he? Right after. Right after. So I remember those two being a prominent, um, you know, prominent doctors uh, in in my high school career because their career in my high school life uh, because of uh, of my friends. They were really into Doctor Who. They shot their own little Doctor Who movies in in um, in their bedrooms, and they had a little TARDIS um, that they would put (laughs) on a they would put on a turntable and then film it as the turntable you know, turned and the, the TARDIS turned and they would uh, play the song uh, that we all know yeah. now. So um, those two, you know, growing up, I guess those two doctors for me. But when I got into Doctor Who with my son, we uh, started watching the the new incarnation with, uh, what's his name, Eccleston? Eccleston, yeah. Yeah, and we started watching that. Uh, he really enjoyed the that doctor, and we started watching all of them from from then on. And it was such a a great uh, you know bonding you know father son experience. Um, it's really a hard question because each actor brings something uh, completely different and unique to the role, and I know uh, each actor kind of you know, takes upon it themselves to, to kind of learn, you know, who Dr. Who is in, in, in their own way. But I, I really, I really enjoy a lot of the Dr. Who interpretations throughout all the, the, the actors, including, um, uh, what's, what's the actress's name? Which one are you the, the, the most recent? Yeah. The, the lady. Doctor. Jody. Jodie Whittaker? Whittaker, first of all, she's easy on the eyes, um, really pretty lady. Um, and I actually, I liked her. Um, I liked her in, uh, there's another series that, uh, Broadchurch, Broadchurch, uh, fantastic series. Um, speaking of doctors, um, David Tennant was in that, uh, series as well. Yep. But, um, I don't know. That's I, what I, got her the role in yeah, Doctor Who. Yeah, and that's uh, same yeah. director, same director, or showrunner. So it's um, it's a hard question, but I'm gonna say uh, you know David Tennant is a favorite. Um, for a while, I, I I wasn't too thrilled with. Um, I'm blanking on the actors' names now. Matt Smith was the yeah. kind of raggedy, and then you yeah. had Peter Capaldi was the older. Yeah, um, I enjoyed Capaldi. Um, Smith was. Uh, it took me a while to warm up to him, but I want to say, let's just cut to the chase and say my my favorite Doctor of of the new stories or the newer stories uh, will be David Tennant. There are so many story arcs that happened within his um, his tenure as the Doctor. Uh, you know, obviously we, uh, we met River Song. Um, she was one of my favorite, uh, characters in that series. Um, and such a unique way to bring their lives together, um, kind of backwards. Uh, and, um, yeah, it's, uh, I want to say David Tennant, what is he? The uh, fourth doctor? 
He's the 10th doctor. 10th doctor. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting. Like you mentioned your first exposure being Perchwee. Cause that, um, that probably was one of the silliest points um, production wise, because they had just switched to color. Oh, okay. And so some of the monster costumes did not translate well. <laughs> yeah. You know, when when a guy is transforming into a cocoon and they wrap him in green bubble wrap and you put that in color, it just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I it's, bet. Uh, so uh, the cost of that, they had to do it with the exact same budget, but it like severely increased the cost. Uh, so the show, the show kind of took a dip in production for a little bit there. Um, and then it kind of did again in the, in the late eighties, right towards the end, uh, when it wasn't hitting the same numbers, uh, kind of once again, got a little, a little less funding and it <laughs> got a little goofy, but, uh, I, I do think like the, the new series, uh, has done a lot to revitalize it. <laughs> He's saying you like Jody. That's, that's like, uh, like me telling you that I like the last Jedi or something. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And, and, and again, you know, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not deep into the doctor who fandom. Um, well, I, and you haven't, you also haven't, you've only watched her first season, right? Um, I think I, think I, I remember you telling me that. Yeah. May, maybe, maybe the second season. I think the, the, um, I remember a, a lot. I, I remember a lot of little snippets. Um, there was a creature that went back in time that that had a lot of teeth in his face. Uh-huh. And he met Rosa Parks. That, um, that was still first was season. Still, okay. Um yeah. yeah, so maybe maybe uh maybe the so, second season and a half, maybe like the half of the second season. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, so I'm have it, to go back. it was you know, I'm I'm kind of like you, Ro. I'm I'm somebody who's always trying to give something a shot. And I really was giving him the show a shot, even though I was frustrated. I was like, okay, the thing about Doctor Who is every doctor is there for a while and then they go. So if that doctor's not for you, maybe the next doctor will be. <laughs> and that's something that I like about it. So sometimes you just sit through the show and you're like, okay, I want to know this for canon, but, um, you know, I'm not going to get too upset about it. But uh, at the end of the second season, they basically just like retcon the entire history of the show. Huh. And um, it it was it was a real hard pill <laughs> to swallow <laughs> for the fans. Wow. Um, okay. So uh, yeah, the doctor the the doctor was always a woman, and and a scientist forced her to be a man. <laughs> oh my god! Okay. So it, it, it got it got fans pretty heated, and you know it's it's one of those things where they had actually been trying, been putting out there since the eighties about doing a female doctor. And I think had they had the right script, did they need to do it? No, but had they had the right scripts and had they really made it Dr. Huey, I think fans would have eventually accepted it. They accepted Michelle Gomez as the master and that was because she just gave a stellar performance and had good scripts. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but that's, that is what it is. 
That's funny. Okay, what do you have next for me? <laughs> uh, who is your favorite droid in all of science fiction? Um, that would be Captain Rex. Oh, wait. From Star Tours. From Star Tours? Oh, okay. Yes. All right. So, I'm like, wait a minute, Captain Rex is a clone, but I I I I stand yeah, corrected. So, I so, remember uh, now. Why you, you um, didn't he- you didn't hesitate. You knew right Oh no, away. no, no. He's my favorite character in Star Wars. Oh my god. Wow. So um hopefully this is not, not your your final question. Or was or was this was this your final question or no, this is number four. Number four. So hopefully I'm not stepping on your final question, but um I discovered Star Wars through Star Tours. Okay. I went to Star Tours. Um I was maybe four or five years old. It was six months after it opened because we always it opened in like October or something, and then we go in like February when it's cheap to go to Disneyland. Right. It's yeah. always what my dad did. And so we went and I Knew nothing about Star Wars. I went on that ride over and over, drugged my parents through it. I was just fascinated with the, with the droids while you're waiting in line and all of them talking stuff. I just was enthralled with that. I think right after that, I saw the short circuit movie and I thought he looked kind of like that droid. And I, was, oh, I, I was just totally in love with it. And then we're at... Um, the local video store. If I remember coming across Caravan of Courage, mm-hmm. and I remembered the poster in Star Tours about Endor, and seeing the little um, Ewoks in like the video presentation about how to put your seatbelt on and stuff like that, and I remember running up to my dad and saying, "Look, they have Star Tours movies." <laughs> <laughs> and so that was my actual first Star Wars movie was Caravan of Courage. Wow. Uh, but then my dad made sure that I saw the original trilogy. And I think I I think I watched them out of order. I think I saw Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, and then Empire Strikes Back. Wow. How confusing. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I have, I mean, but because of that, like, that are extra like that is that was my gateway the droids is what drew me to star wars oh nice so all, all the different things the compelling hero story all that kind of stuff for me when it all boils down to it's the droids very nice yeah i mean and you know george lucas has done such a wonderful job in infusing uh you know such character in in these these robots these droids um which is great it's uh you know, we always find something, um, something to latch onto in that, uh, franchise and, uh, droids definitely is, uh, you know, a fan favorite for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So, Ro, you often say you don't like comedy in your sci-fi. <laughs> that is correct. I but often say. You love Star Wars, and the original trilogy had lots of comedy in there. You love Star Trek, and I think Star Trek, at the heart of it, is comedy. I think of when they make when Riker makes the comment that it's smoother than an android's bottom, and Data reaches up and touches, and he goes, no. Nah. <laughs> 
<laughs> what do you mean when you say you don't like comedy and sci-fi? <laughs> Oh, man. Because um, I don't know if I fully believe you. Let's see. Without insulting people, I just don't like dumb comedy. <laughs> like your mama jokes and and uh, stuff like that. Um, so let me, let, you know what? So no, so no Jar Jar fart jokes? No. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned you know, when I went to Los Angeles to go see uh, episode one. And um, the first thing that I thought of when the movie was over and I walked out of the theater, I'm like, wow, there's a fart joke in Star Wars now. Um, so I was very I was very surprised. But um, I don't know. And uh, I, my wife and I just started watching the show called Barry. Are you familiar with that? Uh, it's got Bill Hader. He plays uh, an assassin on a job. But then he decides that he wants to be an actor, so he takes uh, Henry Winkler's acting class, and uh, instead of uh, killing his target, he's acting with with uh, the group in the class. And it's you know, it's a it's a serious topic because the guy's an assassin and he kills people, but it's a comedy because Bill Hader's in there, yeah. and you know. That that's one of those shows where it's like, oh, I'm really interested in the drama aspect of it. And then they start cracking jokes and I'm like, oh, get to the drama. I want to know what happens in, in in this part of the story. So it's like sometimes sometimes I don't know whether to laugh or to, you know, bite my nails because the the drama is so high tension. Um, and I think it's the the um, the whiplash effect of going back and forth between those two emotions that for me are so completely on opposite ends of, of the spectrum. Um, and that's, you know, probably why I don't really like shows like the Orville. And I know people have, um, begged me to, to give it a try, uh, because, uh, you know, I like sci-fi and they, they think that I re- would really like it. I think I tried watching two episodes and, you know, this, okay, the sci-fi, there's a budget and, you know, I, I know a little backstory on, on the Orville, but you know, it's, there's, you know, I think it's billed more as a comedy more than, than a science fiction. And I know through uh, the several seasons that it has kind of changed um, more into drama and the, like serious stuff and less comedy. Um, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a, not, not that it's a pet peeve of mine, but I just, I, you know, just like mixing your chocolate with your peanut butter, I just can't mix my science fiction with my comedy. Well, you know, it's, um, you know, you mentioned the Orville. I couldn't get into that either. And, uh, mostly because to me, it felt like crude humor. And from ones I talk with about it, season three is one of those seasons where, you either like it or you don't because it's almost devoid of the comedy. It, 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 it was kind of his really showing, well, this is how I really would do Trek. But I, um, you know, the, the, the fart jokes, the sex jokes, you know, the stuff like that really kind of didn't do it for me. I like campy stuff when something specifically a parody, I like it. Do you, um, like, do you like galaxy quest? I remember watching Galaxy Quest like maybe one or two times. I don't remember a lot of it, but I I, I remember watching it and saying, huh, "Okay, yeah, 
that it is what you know and people ask me the same thing about space balls um obviously it's a parody of of star wars but i i don't particularly enjoy i don't particularly enjoy space balls that much um okay yeah it's uh so well it's it's one of those things like sometimes you know um i i have a little bit of nostalgia for space balls i specifically saw it before i knew what all the jokes were (laughs) and um so i have nostalgia about things that now i go back and i kind of watch and i'm cringe i don't like what i call crude humor so like i don't like the austin power movies i'm a huge james bond fan i don't like austin powers mm-hmm. um to me it just feels too shack sacrilegious to that franchise yeah. Yeah. but i know it's a parody and and I, I feel the same way about the orville uh however i do like super campy stuff <laughs> and which is why i think i like a lot of retro shows that are they're to some extent they're campy by aging they weren't viewed as campy back in the day yeah but they're campy right. now and but but because i'm into that I, I like that but uh would you say then that you like more humor that happens natural absolutely that makes sense yeah you know, that, when that totally makes the sense. droids or hands says something yeah. and it's believable that they would do it it's not a turn to the camera and say something right or or but it's more a believable little banter or something in the show yeah it's it's built into the situation it's uh part of the i guess the the character's mystique um one of you know one of their qualities i guess um and it's funny because i love i don't know if you remember the the naked gun movies the 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 yep. Um, I love those. I love get smart. I love, um, airplane airplane is, is, is a, a awesome comedy. So I love comedies. It's just that, you know, when it's, when comedy is infused in science fiction is when I can't, uh, handle it, uh, for whatever reason. But, um, yeah, Shanti used to give me crap about not loving comedies. I love, I like comedies. It's just that it depends. And, you know, even the MCU um, is obviously a lot of the MCU is very science fiction-y, but it has a lot of humor in it. But the MCU humor is, I, I feel like it's self-aware. The MCU humor is definitely um, humor where the characters are looking at the camera and going wink, wink. We know we're, you know, we're flying around on wires uh, wearing spandex, but this is kind of a funny situation. Um, and I think I accept that, that that kind of humor a little more than. Um, I mean, like when Cap says language. Yeah, but you know what though? That's part of his character, like. You know, right. he's, he's very yeah. proper. He's but, very proper. And it just happens to be funny. See, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you this, because I know you're more into Marvel than you are over the DC uh, cinematic universe. And yet I noticed from a lot of DCEU fans that that's one of their biggest complaints about Marvel is it's too full of comedy. Huh. And, and yet that's usually your thing is to not like comedy. So um, one of these days I got to get you into Stargate. Because I'd be curious your take. Because there is comedy in it. Yeah. But I, I think it is done in a style that you would appreciate. Okay. And I know Andrew um, has uh, tried to convince me to get into it. And I think I started watching the first episode. 
Um, he did tell me that the the first couple of seasons are rough. Um, um production wise, yes. Though I do think yeah. that the um the stories are really good in the first couple of seasons. I just think um the production wise, but if I would actually suggest that you try Atlantis first. It's a little okay. backwards, but uh I, I feel like the story in that is self-contained enough and the budget is a whole lot higher okay. that that show started with. Yeah. Because it, it, it started at season eight of as Stargate SG one. Wow. And um and then ran continuous with it for the last couple seasons of Stargate. Yeah. And um I mean it's space vampires. Sure. Well they, okay. they, they it's a species that sucks your life energy out of you until you're a dry husk. Wow. Cool. So yeah. um it's uh, the visuals on that much better, I think. And I think uh, turn down Richard Dean Anderson um, is is quite a a a laugh. And and I will say, the longer he was on Stargate, the more I think as like the the show went on, the more silly he got. Yeah. But. Uh, uh, it's it's got good drama drama and good stories, but uh, I I would be interested your take on the humor on that because I think that also strikes a very delicate balance compared to something like the Orville that goes real heavy on the humor. Yeah. So, uh, or, or or maybe I'll just give you an episode and say, hey, go watch this episode and tell me what you think. Yeah, that would be great because I mean. There's a you know there's a lot of science fiction especially television sci-fi that I, that I just didn't get into and um you know star I know there's a, a whole bunch of Stargate series SG ones and seven and whatever <laughs> here's one of the thing you're gonna love about Stargate is all the Star Trek and Star Wars references because okay. it's contemporary in our timeline and they bring an alien to Earth and his favorite movies that he gets exposed to is Star Wars. Okay. And uh yeah, there's there's some funny scenes that I think I think I think you'd like. Uh All right, cool. Yeah, but, give, me, uh, give me give me a list. Yeah. All right. Um I've got one last question for you. Okay. And um it uh it should be an easy one. Um and uh don't forget um our friend, uh, the rural farm boy, also asked a question for us to to, to answer. So uh, I will, yes, uh, I will put that one on too. But uh, here's my last question for you: question number five on five questions. What is your favorite film from each trilogy? And I'm talking Star Wars, and uh, and why? Okay, um, so um, from the prequels, it's Episode One. Okay. Um, despite the humor yeah. and that kind of stuff, I've heard you say um, that before. Yes. I would say it felt the most, when I walked out of that, I felt the most like star Wars. It felt grand. It felt epic. Um, I, w there was a lot of CGI, but I was never taken back by the fact that, Oh, this is a lot of CGI or wooden acting. I mean, 
the kid who played Vader, I mean, Anakin, you know, he's a little wooden, but he's a little kid. So, right. Sure. Um, I mean, Jar Jar was a bit much, but, um, I, I think of, when I think of star Wars, a lot of times I think of set pieces. So, you know, right. you, you've got the, the death star run, the walkers, this for me, when I think of episode one, I think of the pod racers and I think of the duel of the fates. Yeah. Like those are the iconic scenes and nothing in the rest of the prequels kind of yeah. lives in, in my memory like that. So that, that, sure. that to me, despite that film's flaws stands out, um, in the original trilogy, I'm also going to start with the first one, A New Hope. Sure. Uh, when I was a kid, it was Return of the Jedi. I was in love of Jabba's palace, the Ewoks. I loved it all. Uh, I think in a lot of ways it's the most fun. But as I've gotten older, I've just gotten a, an appreciation for A New Hope. It's the only Star Wars movie where I can sit down and just watch that Star Wars movie and feel satisfied. You can tell me, and, and, I, and I'll agree with you, all the reasons why Empire Strikes Back is better. <laughs> but if I watch Empire Strikes Back, I'm watching Return of the Jedi. Right. But if I watch Star Wars, I can go to bed happy. Sure. And, yeah. and it, it just, because it's a complete story. And it has just that build up to the end and then the Death Star run. And they're just something to me, when I think of Star Wars, I think of that original Death Star run. That is where I go to. So um, with the anthology stuff, I would say the end uh, scene in Rogue One with Vader really stands out. Sure, sure. Um okay, okay. Sequel trilogy. Hmm. Sequels, sequels. So I've got two here to choose from. I don't know which one I've ranked here. I'm gonna go with um The Force Awakens. Um not not for the movie itself, but for what it meant for me and my dad. Um, when episode one came out, I was kind of a, an angry teenager. And my dad scooped uh, early tickets before it was released in the Chinese theater in L.A. from his boss. Oh, wow. That's where I went to go and, see episode one. Yeah. So... We were going to have to drive through the night, get there, go watch it, and then drive home. Um, I was going to get to get out of school, all that. But I had just been in an argument with my dad about something. And I was kind of right at the point where uh, girls were becoming more of an interest. Other things were gaming was becoming an interest for me. And I told him no. And he had to take one of his assistants. Wow. And I did that. You know, I, I, I was just frustrated. I didn't want to go on that drive. And I just envisioned being lectured the whole way there, you know. And I think my dad cried. Wow. Uh, that I wouldn't go with it. And I, I know I really hurt my dad. So for The Force Awakens, 
there was a competition on the the radio to get to be able to see it at 4 p.m. the day before the midnight release. And I won tickets and I took my dad. Nice. And, um, you know, it was a big thing. You know, they were shooting T-shirts out of a cannon into the crowd and doing all sorts of things. And it was just being able to make that up to my dad. You know, because I look back at that and I'm like, how stupid was I? I was super into Star Wars. I was collecting everything, getting Mm -hmm. all the soda cans, all that was in a Star Wars frenzy. But just because we had an argument the day before, I turned down this awesome chance to have this memory with my dad. So in turn, getting that with The Force Awakens um, was, was special. Sure. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool indeed. Awesome stuff. Um, Five questions with Nicholas from the Backyard TARDIS. This has been a blast. It's been a fun one, and I've certainly uh, enjoyed getting to do this and getting to know a little bit more about each other. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so we got one final question that was submitted by our friend, the rural farm boy, and, uh, I'm going to play it and, uh, we will have our takes on it. Uh, and it's a, it's an interesting question. Thank you, rural farm boy for putting that out there. an incoming transmission from the Scarif Scuttlebutt Hotline, Commander, and we can't withstand a voicemail of this magnitude! Howdy, Ro. Howdy, Nick. It's Ro Farm Boy, RFP. Seen the Twitterverse, Ro posted up. Went five questions. I got one. And this is one that I've asked to our other Star Wars podcast friends, but now your boy's turn. What I, my question is, and it starts with folks making fun of stormtroopers saying they can't hear the broadside of a bantha and such, but I don't buy that because the Empire had an iron grip on the galaxy for nearly 30 years. How could that happen with what some folks say is incompetent soldiers? Because, no, that don't sit right with me. I served time in the fire under the First Legion as a stormtrooper, as did Roe for a time. So what I, my question is, how does the Empire keep an iron grip on the galaxy for nearly 30 years with incompetent soldiers? Because that can't happen. We've seen it. We've seen it on ferrets. And if you're familiar with Lost Stars, we've, we've seen it there in that audiobook after Thane Kyrell deserts the Empire and watches the Bodachi that were enslaved by the Empire and watches the Empire break a family apart and many more spots. But 
what you boys think? And I'm looking forward to your answer in my playlist. And I will surely be listening. So until then, my friends, may the Force be with you. Hey, Star Wars fans and friends of the podcast, don't forget to leave the guys a voicemail for a chance to be included in the discussion. Let them know what's on your mind. Call 773-234-8659. And that's the scuttlebutt. So, basically, what do we think about the stormtroopers not being able to hit the broadside of a, of a, what did he say, of the broadside of a Bantha? Bantha? A Bantha, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I got thoughts for sure. What, what do you think? Um, well, first off, I want to say congratulations to Rural Farm Boy for becoming part of uh, the Blue Melt Cafe. Yes. And uh, joining our pod families. <laughs> And, uh, uh, but, uh, I think there's a lot of headcanon explanations I can come up with it. First off, I think, uh, when you look at that first movie, they were tracking them. They were ordered not to kill them. And, um, you could say that a large portion of the competent soldiers blew up on that Death Star. So there was a lot of quick recruitment to replace a lot of those stormtroopers. All right, all um, right. That could be an in a head cannon explanation. Um, but I really kind of like what they pointed out in um, the Mandalorian. I think it was season two when they pointed out that you know the one um, what's his name, the comedian that w- played the character. Yeah, um, something. He, you know he. You know, he he was an Imperial sharpshooter. He was skilled. He was qualified. He wasn't the typical foot soldier that the Empire was just recruiting in masses to be imposing. So there there were stormtroopers that were excellent and highly, and that to some extent, I mean, our armed forces are not that bad, but you know, there is a big difference between uh, a typical soldier. And uh, uh, a ranger or a marine and a seal, and you know, there's there's different layers. Um, you know, uh, the the typical foot soldier isn't the same as an army ranger, or or uh, a marine as a, a navy seal. You know, so it it kind of yeah, the idea that like some of these guys aren't that good, and and it's because of them that we have the joke, but not that the entire imperial army is incompetent. Sure. That's a good one. That's a, that explains, uh, that's a good, uh, headcanon explanation. I always found it annoying that the in joke, um, outside of the universe, outside of the, the, you know, the, the in universe stuff that stormtroopers can't hit, um, made its way in universe as we saw in, you know, some of the, some of the scenes in, um, in Mandalorian um, because I think um, Anthony is correct where, you know, these are highly skilled sharpshooters. I mean, you had different um, legions to, to be able to, uh, to be used as sharpshooters and, 
they get the job done sort of thing. Um, you know, you had um, not only the regular stormtroopers, but you had the uh, the death troopers, which I find, uh, you know, in- intriguing. But um, that that is my biggest pet peeve that, uh, again, getting back to comedy and sci-fi, that's my biggest pet peeve that this, you know, funny comedic thing where stormtroopers can't hit anything made it made its way into the the actual fabric of of the story because you know um what did obi-wan kenobi say only imperial stormtroopers are this precise <laughs> yeah but obi-wan was a notorious liar <laughs> and uh <laughs> from those a certain point people, of view those those certain uh those same people definitely were precise in episode one um right. yeah but uh you know, the other thing I would say, you know, going back to your comedy bit, would you say the joke as it was presented in Rebels, where it was specifically the clone troopers, particularly Captain Rex, that was making fun of the stormtroopers aim, was more in-universe in thing, you know, because he would have a natural prejudice against his replacement. Yeah. Versus... Say a Mandalorian where you have the two troopers trying to shoot a target while they're just kind of waiting for orders with Grogu there and they can't hit the target. Yeah, that was the one of the That's, most annoying things for me to watch. <laughs> um, yeah, that 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 made me uh scared for a Taika uh Watiti movie because that was his episode, yeah, exactly. So, so uh you know, it, it's just one of those things where I think it, it it got introduced into the universe as a joke that worked, and then it got outplayed. Yes. It, it, it got played too much to the point where now, well, if everybody in the galaxy thinks the Stormtroopers are a joke, then why does anybody care when they show up? Right. Yeah, good point. Absolutely good point. Yep. Leave my stormtroopers alone, damn it. It's too funny. Nick, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. We did five questions and we had a lot of fun. Did you have fun? Oh, I had a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I, uh, you know, once we started doing this five questions, I'm like, you know what? I need to get Nick on here to ask him five questions because had a lot of fun with our Battlestar Galactica episode. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm very highly appreciative of uh, of your support. And um, it's uh, it's been fun. Yeah, very much so. And uh, look forward to, uh, you know, Doing stuff in the air. We've been we've been uh, messaging back and forth about doing a Doctor Who one. So yeah, um, absolutely. And uh, I yeah, I I would still be up for doing uh, Galactica nineteen eighty because it's a very interesting <laughs> series um, yeah. compared to the you know the the original uh, season of Battlestar Galactica. But um, you know, I think uh, I think we definitely have thoughts about that one too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We're right on the year anniversary of that, so we should probably do that soon. Absolutely, absolutely. Why don't you tell the uh, listeners where people can find you and say hello there? Um, mostly on Twitter as uh, Backyard Tardis. 
um, on YouTube if you want my thoughts on nerdy things. Um, it's uh, Backyard Tardis. If you want the Adventures of Locksmithing, just to hear those funny things, they're right there, Adventures in Locksmithing. You search that on YouTube. And if you can't find it, uh, tag me on Twitter and I will give you the links. Excellent. Awesome stuff. Uh, very uh, intriguing channel. You you go, uh, you know, talk about adventures. You really have a, a, a lot of adventures there uh, as you're doing your locksmithing uh, day in and day out. Um, but absolutely a lot of fun stuff. Thank you so much, Nick, for joining me on this episode of the Scarab Scuttlebutt Podcast. If you're listening and want to be part of five questions or you have a question that you want me to use, please uh, drop us a, a voicemail over at the Scarif hotline at 773-234-8659. Leave a voicemail there and uh, we'll use your question. If not, send us an email at scarifscuttlebutt at gmail.com. If you want to hear more of our five questions, we got a whole bunch of them in our back catalog, along with some other friends that uh, we talk nerd stuff. So uh, give us a try if you are new to this channel and you're just you know, checking it out. Uh, thank you so much for trying this one. Uh, we are part of the Red 5 Network. The rest of the Red 5 Network family can be found at bio.link slash red5. There's a podcast and a YouTube out there for everyone. We uh, A very versatile team of uh, shenanigans uh, happened on the Red 5 Network, so thank you very much for that. But until next time, Nick, thank you so much. Get that uh, air conditioner going. And uh, we'll see you next time. Until then, this is Ro, and that's the Scuttlebutt. listener just a reminder that the podcast you just heard is a proud member of the red five network family red five network.com offers you a great variety of shows you'll be sure to love so the next time you're itching for quality content make sure you head over to red five network.com you'll find this podcast along with a whole lot more all wings report in it's the red five network